welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. We have a great guest. Today's guest is Danny Spatiri. He is a musician and a filmmaker here from uh, San Jose. I met this guy at San Jose State University, and uh, we, we mostly uh, chatted through the hallways. I don't think I ever took a class with him, uh, but he was a real cool guy, and, and he's doing some great, awesome stuff. I was like, hey, let me see what he's up to, and, and, uh, and then uh, I was like, you know what? Let's get this guy on here. Let's get this guy sitting in the blue chair, feeling comfortable, and talk it out. Uh, we had a great chat. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot to digest from it. And a couple surprises. Like, uh, it's funny how you forget it's a, it's a small world. And it's great to, to hear that some people had similar experiences uh, in the same towns uh, as yourself when growing up. So that's pretty cool. So look forward to that. But before we get to our interview with Danny Spatiri, we have another episode of Wheels on Reels. Uh, Jacob Wheels, the JMS Podcast film critic, went out a while back ago. It's kind of an old recording of the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, I'm releasing a lot of stuff late because it's towards the end of the second season here. We're, we're reaching our 100th episode. So I'm trying to get all the stuff we put aside all... You know, just putting it out there. You guys deserve to listen to some of the stuff. I, I, I think uh, I think he gives some great uh, film critiques, and it's one of the reasons why he is labeled as the best film critic in San Jose. And I'm sure you'll realize that with uh, with this review of the Lego Batman movie. But before we get there, a couple announcements. First thing first, if you're tuning in for the first time, thank you for doing so. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Feel free to also follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can always email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Alright, got that spiel out of the way. Let's head on over to Jacob Wheel's review of the Batman Lego movie. Here with another episode of Wheels on Reels with Jacob Wheels. Yes, I should I should add some music to that. Just add a horn section. A horn section. Because every time I walk in the room, you just hear horns. Horns. It's because I'm horny. <laughs> but uh, today review is of the Lego Batman movie. This is a kids podcast. It is a kids review. I'm reading kids movie, and I just said horny. Yeah, yeah, way to go! <laughs> great uh, start. But this is a, a film that came out recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's getting uh, great reviews for the most part. Didn't and get any Oscars though. No Oscars. Uh, directed by Chris McKay, uh, written by quite a few people. There's like nine people credited as writers here. What the fuck? I'm not one of them. And, and you're not one of them. Are you one of them? Uh, I am not. Is this movie like the Wu Tang Clan of Lego of writing screenwriting? It's just everyone's been the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> But uh, but I don't know. It's it's a spinoff from the Lego Movie, mm-hmm. which I thought was great, fantastic. Yeah, great movie. Uh, so how how does this one uh, how is the Lego Batman movie, Mister Wheels? Um, it's definitely more. <clears throat> it's got more. I don't know if meta humor is the, is the term. Well, maybe not. Like it's very self aware. 
It is very self-aware. Which what the first Lego movie was as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like this one is just too self-aware. Don't get me wrong. It's funny. Like, the things they do in it. Like, the first opening scene. If you get me laughing in the first opening scene, shot, opening thing, whatever, you're, you're I'm on board. You know what I mean? What, the, what was it? So, it's a black screen, right? It's very ominous, like every superhero movie. And you hear Lego Batman go, every important movie starts with a black. Black title. That's what I'm about to say. But, you know, I laughed because I didn't, you know what I mean? Because every movie starts off with a black screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, okay. Yeah. It, I, I'm on board. Mm. But uh, but then, like, so Batman, you know, Batman's this character that everyone loves. You know, everyone loves Batman. And he knows everyone loves him. So he's this kind of cocky bass. He's, he's just like the Batman in the Lego movie. Right? So, you know, he goes. But uh, guess, what his, guess what his weakness is? It's uh, it's being part of a family. So they're doing like this weird oh. kind of like alternative take on Batman, which I really loved. Interesting. Because okay. he's like, everyone loves Batman, but no one cares about Batman. No one fucking cares about him. Everyone just wants him to save save the, the world, save Gotham. But no one cares about what he real feel, really feels like. And this is what this movie gets right. So how does he really feel? He sat on the inside, man. He pushed his people away because he's Batman. He doesn't have time for that bullshit. But guess what his character arc is? What's that? He he doesn't push people away. He loves them. Character arc. That's what this movie has going for it. I mean, it's a very... It's not like we haven't seen it before, but Batman. You know what I mean? So, uh, <clears throat> uh, according to the synopsis, is that he must raise a boy he adopted. Yeah, he accidentally uh, uh, adopts. Dick Clark. He accidentally adopts. Yeah, he just says, he, like, I think his name's Dick Clark. What's the, what's the kid's name? The Robin kid. Uh, Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson. There we go. Which is voiced by Michael Sarah. Well, and... you're going to have to cut that. So one of the best things about this movie is yeah. when you're watching it, you're going to hear a bunch of voices. And you're going to say to yourself, who is that? And then when you go, when you look it up, you're going to be like, that person was in this movie? That's the that was probably one of the best parts that they got all these actors. They got so many stars in this movie that when you hear like when you look it up, you'll be like, "Wow, I I know exactly who this person is." It's a weird little mystery kind of thing. Well, Batman's voiced by Will Arnett. That's all we know. Uh, they don't. Well, they don't. The thing is, they don't even like advertise the the actors behind it. Right. Rosario Dawson's in it. Ralph yeah. Fiennes, Zach Galifianakis, Jenny oh, Slade. You're just ruining Conan this. O'Brien. Yeah. Doug, a lot of comedians are in here. So many comedians, and they're like, "What the fuck are they doing?" Doug and Benson. They, they play small roles, and it's amazing. You know what? It's, it was fun. I actually really liked it. You know, all these movies, all these Oscar movies, are like a gay kid being oppressed. You know what I mean? Depressed people, um, aliens, and shit. Right? And it's just, it's just so sad. It's so great to see a movie that's just lighthearted and just it's self aware of how not serious it is. And it's just fun. You know what I mean? Like, we need fun. All right. So it's a fun flick. It's a fun movie. Like, adults will love it. Kids will love it. Uh-huh. Everyone loves this movie. How's the animation behind it? So, I, you know what? The, what's, what's so great about these being Lego stop, uh, stop motion movies is that you can get away with cheesy kind of, like, jokes. Like, animation jokes. So, like, for example, when someone shoots a laser, like, they go, pew! And, like, it's the most hilarious thing because you know you're in the joke that it's Legos. You know what I mean? And then, like, these explosions are just out of this world, kind of like, like, they look 
stupid as hell, but it's like, you don't fucking care. This is a giant uh, power plant exploding. And it's like, you know, like, I love how they can get away with stuff because it's Lego. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's a perfect example at the end, but I'm not going to say that. Okay. But it like, the animation is just a delight. You know what I mean? It's so fun. Look at you using all these film critic <laughs> words. Delight. It's a delight. Delightful. It's uh, it's fucking dope. Yo. It's, it's, dope. it's so fucking dope. Don't I know? I know what people are gonna think. They're gonna say, "Oh, how does it compare to the Lego Movie?" Yeah. How does it? Um, it's not as good, I would say, because that one had a lot more going for it. Like it was more. <clears throat> it was. It was just more. And this one's really honed in onto one thing. You know what I mean? Cause like in Lego in the Lego movie you got you go into like Wild West Town you went to like sparkly, uh, fucking Rainbow Town and whatever this one's just kind of like Gotham City so they can only get away with kind of what's in Gotham City I mean they also go to like this, this Superman Evil Man world mm-hmm. or whatever and that's you know that's a thing but other than that it's just kind of the one place and you're just kind of seeing the same thing, which was kind of a bummer because you know with Lego you can get away with so much stuff mm-hmm. and the fact that. That they they only stood in like Gotham City, which is dark and bleak. What well, did they in any way reference the events of the previous movie? Yeah, that was even a joke too. They they told so you know there's Batman. He's all moody and dark and stuff, right? And then uh, uh, his butler, um, Jeeves. The, 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 the actor voicing? No, no the, but just the butler character. Oh, Alfred. Alfred, yeah. Dude, what's a, weren't you a Batman kid growing up? I mean, I knew of Batman. I've seen, like, almost every Batman film. You've seen when, almost every Batman film. And you did not know Dick Grayson. You did not know Alfred. Okay, when I'm butler. put on the spot. What is Batman's name? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Okay, Wayne I'm happy Industries. you got that right. Okay. Um, You know, like, when I'm put on the spot, I can't think of things that well. Okay. Anyways, so like, there's a point where they even reference the old characters, the 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 older films. Like, it's still in the same universe. So you'd be like, "Hey, you're in this dark mood. I noticed you've been in this dark mood since like 2001." And then they just keep on going back and flashing still stills, Lego stills of the of like you know of the past Batmans. Yeah. So they have a Lego Batman of of Christian Bale. They have a Lego Batman of uh, George Clooney with his bat nipples. They got a. They oh a, damn! They went back to like. Uh, um, all the way back to like the 60s TV sh- or yeah TV show and the movie the Adam West the Adam West yeah uh, so like they they even acknowledge what has happened in the past uh-huh. which is which I thought you know just just how self aware this movie is it was it was pretty good but the fact that I have that same humor I kind of hated it you know what I mean it's no what do you mean I it, I didn't hate it but I was just like ah oh, I have that same humor. You know I, fi- I, mean? I figured this would be right up your alley. That's what I thought too. Like, like I, I love this kind of humor, but it's like, well, no, I could, I could have thought of this. You know what I mean? I go to movies to to try to see something I never thought of before. I was like, I could have thought of like half these jokes, which oh. pissed me off too. I was like, why am I feeling this way? Just enjoy the film. But no, you got to be all pretentious film critic over here. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It, regardless, um, yeah. It was great. You know, it was it was it was really fun voice acting. It, you can tell that they were having fun with this film, because uh-huh. like even they would like ad lib like, like he pressed a button, he'd be like press, you know, or they'd be like jump, backflip, you know. They would they would say what they're doing, and you could just tell like when the actors are having fun. I think everyone else is having fun. When the actors are having fun, 
Everybody else is everybody else is having fun. Yeah, I was having fun. I, I think there's a couple of gaffers and a couple of, of grip people who were behind the scenes that would choke you to death. Yeah, because while the actors are having fun, they're over there, you know, picking up stuff, putting lights on, and and working their asses Look, off, working twelve hour shifts. <laughs> I don't know how you but, like a but, Lego but, movie, but if the actors are having fun, oh, and then everybody's happy. Okay. Well, well, to be fair, it's an animation film. Maybe it's, yeah. Well, the well, Jorge. well, the animators are staying late late at night, being being underpaid. Uh, I listen to a podcast about that too, so that's hitting home right now. Really, there was a podcast about that about animators getting underpaid. Animators and visual effects artists they're getting oh, underpaid. Yeah. This, yeah, let's dude. not get political, Jorge. I don't know why you're getting into this territory. I thought Lego Batman was a political movie. Was it not? Was it? I mean, there was a controver- a stupid-ass controversy going on around it. I, don't I was know just kidding. That. Really? What was the controversy? Okay, so Dick Grayson, he gets adopted by, by Bruce Wayne because uh-huh. he doesn't know that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Okay. And then he's all like, oh, wait, I have another dad, Bruce Wayne, because he's talking to Batman. He's like, will my other dad know this? And then fucking people are like, oh, gay dads or something like like two dead, gay, oh, this, they're gay. But it's the same person. Yeah. That's what. Well, that's what I was like. Why are you fucking? Why do you even care? Like, it's the same person. That's the joke. You know what I mean? They're like, no, YouTube videos and shit. And Who, who's they, freaking out about? I don't that? know. Look on. Look on Yahoo News. Is, is T- Tommy Lorraine? I don't know who that is, but he probably is. No, the he, the, the the blonde chick who's like. Uh, never mind. That's a whole different thing. Let's not get political, Jorge. <laughs> just know that people are freaking out about this movie. That's just fun. Because you say that you go see this movie if you're avo- avoiding the real life stuff like real issues such as politics yeah to escape yeah well it's, I actually went to this movie to escape not feeling gypped for paying $20 for a movie yeah yeah you, you're referring I to snuck your into this film that's what I'm saying yeah, I, I'm I, a bad film critic Jorge. hey film critics usually don't pay to watch the movies <laughs> yeah there you go I'm just being a film critic exactly justifying my existence <laughs> I like that you're a film critic from the streets mm. real talk <laughs> real talk all right, man. So, what's your review? You well, know what's what? your rating? I mean, you know what? Go. I just like the fact that it's a big screen. Just seeing all the vibrant colors that you can get away with. Go see this on a big screen. If you can see it in theaters, go out and go see it in theaters. Hmm. Because it's fun. It's whimsical. It's funny and meta as fuck. You know, and you know, millennials love meta. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They fucking eat that shit up like like breakfast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they love it. Go see it. Meta cereal. Meta fucking a. You're. Eating cereal made out of cereal. That's how meta it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good film. Look, if you just want, like I said, it's it's not that long. You can bring your kids and they'll they'll love it. Oh, you know what? Actually, so someone else brought this up in another podcast, but it's so weird. This is this is gonna be kids' first introduction to Batman. No, what are you talking about? A lot of kids, no, are gonna be introduced to Batman being a narcissistic asshole. Who doesn't love kids? I mean, yes, there's a good character arc, but like this is so it's kind of weird that and, and and that's worse than being introduced to Batman as a guy who dresses up at night to to be a vigilante. Yeah, they actually address that in the film. <laughs> they're like, because there's a scene where it's like, like they're they're trying to the whole kind of the whole plot subplot or whatever is that they want to get rid of Batman. They don't want to get rid of Batman. They want to like you know Gotham's still a, a crime ridden city and Batman's still there they want to kind of get rid of Batman so they can have the police kind of do it the old fashioned way whatever right and they're like Batman's just making things worse and it like meta commentaries on itself like that but I just hate a generation of kids who are going to be so meta it just kind of pisses me off 
But the controversy you're, you're telling me is that young people are, are going to be introduced to Batman as Lego Batman. Yeah. Why is that a problem? Just because, you know, Batman in, in the past is... I mean, okay, I'm not a Batman fan. I'm not a fanboy. I don't care if... You know, if he pissed himself in a comic book, so fucking what? I'm not going to get mad at that. So, it's just... It, Batman does stand for, like, justice or something like that. And people... This Batman is more like a narcissistic guy who does it to have this fake happiness. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. kids should know that they shouldn't just be, they shouldn't dress up like crazy people and fight crime for happiness. Like find happiness with your family, which is the whole plot of this film. Well, did this film help you get close to your family? No, no, it wasn't like the other films I reviewed. I didn't go in there being like, I should probably call my mom. No, I didn't. I was like, this was fun. This is fun. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so, what's your rating? Oh, uh, go, go, big screen. Go see yeah, go see it. Okay. Bigger the screen, the better. Um, I mean, although this film did come out a while back ago, but I, I think it's still making its circuits around theaters. Yeah, so. I mean, it didn't win, win Oscars. You know how when the people are nominated for Oscars, they it, it didn't get nominated, did it? Not even. I don't even think Zoot- Zootopia won actually. Did it? Yeah, yeah. It was a good movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It was alright. Yeah, <laughs> I'm changing my review for that. <laughs> I don't see that in theaters. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming by and le- and telling us about Lego Batman. I love it. And there you have it, the review of the Lego Batman movie. Do you agree or do you disagree? Let us know at jmspodcast.gmail.com. I always encourage my listeners to be part of the conversation. All right, let's head on over to our conversation with Danny Spiteri. Uh, we had a great talk. I'm happy he was here. Uh, I got to warn you, though, uh, not the proudest audio. Uh, I have this thing uh, where um, I got to work it out. I have this setup where I have a lamp, like a desk lamp in the middle of the microphones. And usually when it's on, for some reason, it, it creates some feedback on the microphones. And it's usually not a problem because usually uh, I, I conduct these interviews on uh, like on a weekend and during the day where there's plenty of sunlight. Uh, in this particular case, uh, we, we recorded this conversation later in the day, in the evening, in the dark, and I couldn't tell Danny, "Hey, Danny, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't um, turn on this light. So do you mind if we have this conversation interview in the dark? I can't do that. It's unprofessional. Although I, I think that that'd be a great." Um, homage to Bruce Springsteen right I should probably write a song talking in the dark right it's like it's like the sequel of dancing in the dark <laughs> all right all right I thought it was funny all right talking in the dark anyway so I couldn't tell Danny that uh, so pretty much we went through it and I, I thought I could fix it in post and I I really couldn't uh, I, I, at this point I would love to blame an intern but this podcast is not at the level yet. Uh, and you listeners know it's me, Jorge. I I, I am not the most uh, technical guy. Um, half the time, I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to um, software and and editing and all that shit. So uh, I, I am deeply sorry if the buzz throughout the conversation bothers you. Hopefully, you tune out. You know, hopefully it becomes white noise and it just becomes a thing. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping for that. And uh, meanwhile, I'm going to have to rearrange my little studio here to to not have that same problem in the future. But nonetheless, there's great content. 
uh, I think I had a, a great conversation with Danny. I got to lo- know him a lot better. Uh, and it made me realize, like, man, I, I really didn't know, that, like, I'm not sure if it's a problem. Do you, you listeners, when you guys were going to school, it's like you only know your colleagues of, of who they are, like that mask they put on, their student mask, right? Because, you know, you, you act differently when you're in school. Me, not so much. Me, I, it's hard to hide my feelings. I, I got this resting, sad, intimidating face because uh, most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm going through turmoil. I'm going through inner tor- turmoil, so it's hard for me to really uh, hide that. Uh, unless, of course, I, I guess I could take pills, but I, n- I never got around to that. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I trying to say? Oh, yeah, uh, pretty much. Uh, so I talked to Danny here and there at school. He was part of the San Jose State Film Production Society. Some very talented people in that. and uh, But I never really sat down with him and really talked. And I'm glad that I he uh, he came over to the podcast and we had a good conversation and I I've garnished a whole new level of respect and and admiration towards Danny Spiteri and uh, yeah uh, before we get to that conversation I am gonna put one of his hip hop songs uh, this one blew me away this one's called Out of View that's gonna be the beginning featured uh, hip hop song and at the end of the conversation. I am going to put in from his experimental album, which is a great album, uh, Township, and it's called Cranberry. It's very hypnotic, and it, it's great to put in the background when you're studying, when you're working, uh, I guess when you're making love. Um, it depends on what level. And uh, overall, it, uh, this guy's a very talented musician, very talented filmmaker, and I'm looking forward for his future stuff. And I will be posting links to his work on social media it's another good incentive wow that's that was a complicated word for me to say it right now it is a great incentive to follow the jms podcast at gmail oh not god damn it i'm ruining this intro hundred we're almost to a hundred episodes and i can't get these intros right all right but seriously i'm gonna put the links to his music on facebook and other social media outlets so uh that's another incentive for you to go check him out. There you go. I got it. Boom. I, I'm going to gonna go out and get myself a cookie. I deserve it after that. Um, so anyway, so here's Danny Spiteri and his song, Out of View.
close the window. That'll help. <sighs> All right. Well, where did you host your 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 podcast? Where like online? You mean like where yeah. they put it? Oh, we put it on iTunes and like we had our own Tumblr blog. We would just put it on there. Um, Tumblr. I'm not yeah. really. I don't really put this podcast on Tumblr. Yeah, we had we just kind of Tumblr was really our choice just because it was a easy to use interface for designing a website. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just what I knew how to use to use like HTML. I don't really know that much about HTML, but I knew enough on Tumblr to like design a simple website. So and this is back in 2012. I didn't even know podcasting existed in 2012. Yeah, they've been around longer than that, actually. Like, yeah. um, I don't know when they started, but I remember at the time like uh, they had been around. You know. Huh. Um, yeah, they've been around, I don't know, actually, probably probably like 2000s when they started, I feel. I feel like that's when I first heard a podcast, it was like 2000s at some some point. What motivated you to uh, do a podcast? Um, I was running a blog with these guys, and we kind of just were like, why don't we do a podcast too? Like, I don't know, it was kind of like second, it was kind of like, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It came second to the blog, really, but it ended up being what I did primarily after a while. After a while, I stopped writing pieces for the blog, but I kept doing the podcast because it was less like time-consuming. Um, but it, it was still very casual. I like I like the format of it. Like it's just, you can kind of just have a conversation, but you're still like doing something of substance, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was I guess what it was. How many people were involved in the recording? I uh, was just three usually. Sometimes we brought in a couple others, but usually it was just three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I find that difficult, man. Like, once there's a third person involved, I'm like, okay, I don't know. Like, there's that balance where you got to find a rhythm. Yeah, I Because you, you don't want to talk over each other. I know. That was always the yeah. thing is we kind of got to a point where we were good with each other. But, uh, you know, there were times where, like, one of us would kind of have to step back a little bit. and like, guys got into heated debates. Yeah, I mean, they weren't, like, they weren't, like uh, antagonistic because we were pretty, like, all mild-mannered enough for right. it to work. But, but you know, we got into debates. Yeah. Um, and this was... a primarily a podcast about film and film culture right yeah it was mainly we just kind of covered like new films um and i think we like had a section where we would talk about like what films we were watching recently that weren't like we were like oh dvd picks section we would kind of talk about like you know, uh, what? dvd picks yeah yeah like talk do about we even do that these days anymore is yeah, it all about I mean, streaming <laughs> that's the thing you know we we called it dvd picks but we knew we weren't actually watching dvds you yeah. know it's like oh yeah guys kind of cheated yeah a little bit you guys know. were, were it was the netflix picks yeah i guess so. i had one friend though who would always buy like criterion uh, discs yeah. and stuff like that so uh, to some extent it was real but for me at least you know i was always just getting stuff online dvds not so much i haven't really rekindled my i mean i have a lot of dvds obviously behind you mm. um and yeah. the one thing I love about DVDs, like I'm very selective with DVDs, mm-hmm. is to make sure it has like bonus features. That's what I really mm. love about buying a DVD. Yeah, like, there's yeah. like extras you go into. Yeah, like behind the scenes it's, and interviews. No, totally. It's kind of like vinyl. You know what I mean? It's right. like I love just getting an album and listening to it. But vinyl, it's like, oh my gosh, there's all this art. There's all this, you know, everything. It's like a whole package. Right. You know? And and recently, I'm I'm really getting into like buying certain uh, media formats of music. Like mm. vinyl records, yeah. cassettes. There you go. Yeah, uh, I'm still not proud of admitting cassettes. No, no, no dude. Uh, I, I actually put out some of my music on cassette. A couple of my releases. I put oh, out really? Yeah, like exclu- yeah. exclusively. Like I put them out yeah. digitally, but exclusively also as far as physical goes, cassette yeah. only. Because I got a cassette as a joke, and once I put it on, and I realized I really <laughs> enjoy it, 
Because cause some cassettes yeah. also have, just like CDs and, and vinyl records, they have like yeah. s- some print that you can read about the artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the moment I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then when I realized I said this was really cool, that was the moment I was like, okay, what kind of person am I now? Like, no, no. I'm the kind of person that will buy cassettes and vinyl records <laughs> and CDs. Don't think of it that way. Don't think of it that way. It's, well, there's a bit of judgment there, don't you think? I mean, there is, depending on how you look at it. You know, and to me, those are just cool art forms, you know. Yeah. Like streaming is... Uh, I think the medium itself is an art form. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like streaming is the least artful of them in my opinion. You could still you could still find the art in digital release, but it's much harder than than with a cassette, you know. Anything physical that has its own certain set of like visual and audio characteristics is going to give you a lot more work with artistically. Right, right. And I think why streaming and 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 online uh music downloading is such a big deal is it's just it's an easier way to access something content yeah that's it's so, definitely it's so true. convenient right that's that's the thing yeah where you, you skip through the art you skip through the, the i don't know whatever notes the musicians have made mm-hmm. and you just get right into it but the yeah, thing is I is agree. that the quality is debatable when it comes to to streaming music right yeah i mean uh, it depends on how you're doing it i mean like the majority of music i listen to i do listen to whether it's streaming or like downloading it or something because that's just most convenient and I do listen to a lot of music so I don't want to buy everything on like vinyl or something right but also yeah I mean Mm -hmm. there is a quality I mean if you're streaming something on like SoundCloud you're getting 128 kilobits per second like that's I don't really notice that like because I'm not like that much of an audiophile but like you know you are getting less of sound quality than if you listen to it on pure vinyl you know so it kind of I mean I think it's a trade-off but I do think it's essential I think if I lived in the 70s and I had to buy everything I listened to I would listen to a lot less music you know interesting well I'm still you know although I buy all those kinds of uh, music formats and media mediums uh, I'm still very selective in how how I use them it has to do with function like if if it's a if it's a contemporary song that I really enjoy like put on online Mm -hmm. I, I think I download it right but if it's a song or an album I know I must have when I'm driving around cruising, yeah, yeah. I buy the CD for my car. Yeah, I, I usually mostly buy jazz cassettes because mm-hmm. again, you know, because you don't have, you don't really have the option to skip anything. Yeah. So I I much rather put a jazz cassette and just let it run through. Yeah, I think the the kind of music does matter in that way. And, and for vinyl, I'm very selective to like milestone rock and roll and bluesy sure. albums. Yeah. So, so there, yeah. there is a certain structure to it. I'm not just buying, yeah, like no, a madman because I don't have money like a madman. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I also think it kind of matters to think about the actual quality of the medium, like the sound quality. I mean, like cassettes just sound a certain way, and like vinyl just sounds a certain way, and like even CDs sort of just sound a certain way, you know. So like, like when I chose to put out my music on cassette, like I was like, ooh, these particular releases will just sound good on cassette. Yeah, you know? dude. Like when I put on that cassette, um. I was really surprised on how good quality the sound was. It wasn't mm. the best, mm. but it had a distinct cassette quality to it that I really liked. Mm. Yeah. And and for some reason, I thought it was going to sound old or, or like a bit uh, compressed for some reason. Right, right. But when it came out pretty good, I was like, I was pretty amazed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, like, that's the thing is people think of vinyl, for example, as like old. And then it's like, oh, really? Vinyl is probably the best sounding of them all. I mean, I know cassettes are different, but like, it's just goes to show that like sometimes the older formats they really knew what they were doing with those you know well yeah a lot yeah. of time and money we put into them yeah no definitely i mean that's the thing now is i mean there's still time and money put into music that goes on digitally but you know it's pretty easy to just put something up digitally without putting any time and money to it at all if you really want you know uh-huh. so it is different 
But man, uh, you, you are a man of many talents. Sure. You do, you do film <laughs> work. Even in your music work, you're, you're very diverse. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you go from hip hop to so to instrumental. How are you best describe your instrumental stuff? Because because um, I, I, I want to say experimental, but not really. Because there is a, a sense of groove to each song. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, I would say so far, most things I've done that are instrumental or electronic in some way, but they haven't really been focused on dance too much. I know I think a lot of electronic music is you know sort of geared towards dance. not all of it obviously, but a lot of electronic music is sort of in the minds of the general public. If you say electronic music, they're going to think of EDM. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think most of the electronic music I've made thus far is more like um, headphone music or like uh, headphone music. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that you could listen to at home by yourself. You know, and like, like to be honest, I think a lot of the reason for that is it's music I've made in very like introverted periods of my life. You know, it's not really like something I made to, when I was like feeling inspired by, by you know, social life or by. You know, there's that part of me too, but I feel like th- that wasn't really what I was trying to express when I made that music. You know, so I don't think that's why it came out so, so kind of uh, inward focused in a way. That's interesting to put it, man. Yeah. I-, I like headphone music. Yeah. For a second, I thought it was like music that you're not proud to share out loud, so you got to wear the no, headphones. No, 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 never. But, but but it seems what you're implying is it's it's music that's meant for like uh, individually. Uh, to really take it in, sure, yeah, in some way, because because you're right. Like some people go like, oh, I want to make this this electronic song for people to dance. Yeah, which is great too. Or yeah, you know to chill. Ways. Yeah. So in some ways, like you add, or uh, or you like visualize what a listener would be doing when they listen to your music. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like I don't really think about that first when I'm making music, like, but that is definitely. I guess to some extent a factor I think really the first thing I'm probably thinking about is just like what ideas I want to convey I mean it really depends like that's the thing that you said right is like I make a lot of different types of music so my approach to each different type kind of varies a bit you know like with the with the EPs I've made as an electronic artist I think I've kind of come into them like wanting to express certain themes from my life at that time you know so like the last EP I released as an electronic artist was called Township and it was when I like had just I've been living uh, downtown San Jose for the first, like, that was the first time I'd lived outside of my parents' house for, like, an extended period of time. That's pretty much when I first moved out. Where downtown were you living at? Uh, first, I was living at uh, the Colonnade, um, which was oh, which dude. sucked. Sorry <laughs> to hear that. Yeah, no. I, I hear a lot of stories it's from, bad, man. from students we who got, were living at the Colonnade. No, it was real bad. We got bed bugs there. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> not a good place. But And it's funny because it looks really nice from the outside, but you get inside there and it's just terrible. But... Um, yeah, the colonnade sucked, but then I moved into the house I'm actually still living at, um, which is down more by like Japantown, kind of by the um, cop station. Um, cop station? Yeah, like if you know where... Oh, by Taylor. Taylor, exactly. Oh, yeah, interesting. Exactly. That dude. house I love. Um, but There's a lot yeah, of real but, nice houses, dude. And there's yeah. a lot of creative, artistic people living in that region. That's true. I think they're kind of hidden away a little bit, but they're there. I mean, that's the nice thing about San Jose is it's like a not very artistic city as a whole. You know, people don't think of, oh, San Jose, the art hub, you know, yeah. but there's a lot of people kind of embedded within the city that are very artistic. Yeah, there's, there's definitely the, the artistic crevices and artistic uh, areas that mm-hmm. have their own, dis- uh, I want to say distinct style, but yeah, they yeah. got their communities, I want to say. Definitely. And, yeah. and there's there's been efforts to kind of centralize the, the, mm-hmm. the uh, put in quotation mark, the art scene in San Jose. Yeah, yeah. But they ha- haven't been successful, and I think that's a good thing. I, I, like the more I think about it, the more I like that there's different, such diverse amount of communities that are not under one blanket. 
Well, that's definitely true. I think we would get more homogenized art if we centralized everything. You know, the only thing that tends to downside is like it's just hard for us as artists to get out there. I think in San Jose because people don't really take us seriously as a city. You know, I think a lot of eyes are really on bigger cities like LA mm -hmm. or like Atlanta or something because it's like, oh, those are where a lot of uh, big art is coming from. So let's yeah. let's uh, we as like you know like critics or tastemakers or whatever, whatever whoever is like kind of you know radio stations all these all these like people who are essentially controlling what art gets out there into the country yeah. i think they look to those cities to find new art to promote but they yeah. don't look to san jose so it's yeah. kind of we have to work harder which is funny because you said it quite right the gatekeepers of the entertainment mm -hmm. industry are, are, are usually in la new york san francisco mm -hmm. yeah. big cities chicago yeah but you know uh, since the internet age where anybody from anywhere can upload anything yeah and, and, and i i think um Pretty much, I feel it's a lot like Wizard of Oz, where people think that yeah. that's Emerald City. Yeah, yeah. But once you get there, you find out that they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's really a facade. Yeah. Uh, and I feel when it comes to people in San Jose about... Because about, I agree with you, San Jose does have a PR thing. Mm. But the more I talk to people on this podcast, the mm. more I actively go out there and look for other communities for the sake of this podcast, sure. the more I realize, like... Uh, I think it's okay. Like, like I think San Jose, it's okay as it is. Like, like yeah. the, the, can can it be recognized for better? Of course, but at the same time, like, not really. I I think um, I think people should look more inward than outward when it comes to promoting San Jose. Yeah, I, no, I, actually, uh, I I think you have a point there. You can say I'm full of shit, by the way. Feel no, free to say that. I, I no, I actually think you have a good point. To be honest with you, I mean, two I, years ago, I, I would have been like, yeah, you know, this is San Jose. Let's get everyone united. Let's get da da da. Let's go show those people in SF there ain't shit. But yeah, yeah, but like the more I talk to people, I'm like, wow, like this is happening here. This is happening there. Yeah, uh, it's great that there's some networking, but the fact that they have their own environment. And where where it's so diversified and, and yeah. apart that one week I go here, the other week I go there. I, I find something beautiful about that. Yeah. No. No. I actually agree with you. I mean, I think that's one reason why I love San Jose so much is because I think there's so much uniqueness here, and there's there's so many different people I know who I've just like never met people like them before, and like I've gone to different places like and seen what people are like in different parts of this country, or even like when I've visited outside of the country and like. There's just people here I've just like never met anyone like them before. I've never seen anything like the art they're creating, and it's just like, it's it's awesome. The thing that just frustrates me is that going back to that issue of like it's hard for us to get recognized here. So I don't think the answer is really that we should centralize and kind of remove what makes us unique because I think it'd be too hard to centralize with how many unique strands there are here in San Jose. But I do think we as artists should really focus more on like how do we get out there. You know, to like really make our name a lot. Most of the people I know who are really great here just don't, and even myself included, to be honest, don't promote themselves well enough. Yeah. You know, I've all that's always been my biggest issue is I, I've never put enough I can work relate, into, I can relate to that so much. Yeah, yeah it's just hard. It, it, it's it's yeah. it's hard, especially because I don't think I don't think that promoting and creating are super like mm, parallel uh, talents. You know, they, you can find, that's the thing I've been learning recently is like I have to just find the art in promoting and in marketing. There is creativity there. And if you look at it creatively, it can become so much easier to do. But it's still a very different talent. That's why a lot of people have like social media managers or they have a man and they have all sorts of people for them handling these things because it's not always easy to think about all those things while you're creating at the same time. 
you know that's another thing that makes it hard in San Jose is that we don't have as much natural attention on us so we have to work harder to do these things that don't come very naturally to most people I think that are artists you know? it's a very great point man very great point yeah were thanks. you born and raised in san jose yes uh well yeah i lived actually uh, not too far from here in santa clara for the first like eight years of my life pretty much born and raised in san, uh, san jose i mean they're pretty much the same city anyway um so yeah i've been pretty much always here um hmm. you know um i do i love it honestly in yeah. san jose i, I mean if, if i could uh, and you said you, you mostly know. grew up in santa clara the area over there? yeah well it was only for the first like eight years of my life i lived in santa clara and then i moved to san jose um okay. so yeah I what mean, part of san jose was your family staying at um by like the winchester mystery house kind of area oh sweet by santana row exactly Jesus. i was I actually remember when they were building santana row i was living i had just moved oh. to that house and i was like oh it's this weird you know big how was it growing up in that area? Because I, 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 Centennial Road is one of those environments where mm-hmm. I, I find very fascinating, strange. It's interesting, yes. Th- there's <laughs> a vibe to it that I can't pinpoint what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot of decadence and a lot of, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, of, of, of riches. Yeah. But there's a, like, I don't know, there's like a dark vibe in that area that I can't really pinpoint. And yeah, but, no, it's a do strange you agree with place. That? No, I do. It's a strange place because it, I think it was like the first sign of that particular area of San Jose trying to like, you know, gentrify basically. Um, I'm always, I don't want I don't like to overuse that word. I think people use it to kind of refer to any sort of development. <laughs> like well, not, not all development is bad, but like, I do think that Centennial Row is kind of definitely the first sign of like San Jose saying, okay, we can make more money here. So, you know, let's, yeah. let's put that there. But, but here's and the like, interesting part that I found about Centennial Row. Sure. Is probably one of the most diverse fucking areas in San Jose. I go out there, and it's mostly international people hanging out. Mm-hmm. With, with, it's you know rich Middle Eastern people, rich, yeah. rich any people from all over the world are yeah. there. No, yeah. You, you, you be at a cafe, and people are talking French here, people are talking Turkish there, and and I'm like, this place it it, it feels and, and actually a lot of friends from other countries they say that the most European place in San Jose is Santana Row. That's really interesting. I actually wouldn't have known that. Yeah, I know it's kind of funny. We're talking about San Jose being diverse, but it, you're right. I don't go to, you know, you think rich people, because that's what Santana Row kind of markets to, and you think, oh, I'm going to see a bunch of rich white people, but you don't really see that at Santana mm. Row. It's just like, it's it's the diverse kind of rich. You know what I mean? It's like if the whole city has this diverseness or diversity, I mean, yeah. then that's where the, the rich yeah. diversity is. You yeah. know? And if anything, I think Santana Row is like, it's, I mean, as dark as I feel the vibe, there's a sense of world peace. Yeah, because sure. you get you get you get a Persian next to an Israeli yeah. hanging out. Yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's like what? Like, don't you? You get a, I'm not kidding, dude. I, yeah. I've seen Palestinians. Yeah, no. Money true. unite people. What can I say? It's true, honestly. <laughs> when you're comfortable with your you know, finances, why do you have a reason to fight, right? Right. So, oh no, man, it's, it's such it's a good point. point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, you know. So I don't know. San Jose is not so bad. I've never really hated it. I know people who really hate it because they're like, "Oh, rich people in our neighborhood," but like, it's never been that bad to me. Um, it's just you know, it's hard to shop there. <laughs> it, it certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> so how big is your family living over there? Um, not that big. It's just my mom and dad, and then my little brother who's twelve, and then mm. my sister used to live with us, but now she's thirty, so she has her own family. Oh wow. Um, what line of work are your parents in? Teachers. Wow. Yeah, they're both teachers. 
both public school teachers. Elementary school level? Or high school. High school. Mm-hmm. How was that growing up? I was fine. I mean, it didn't really affect me too much, except, you know, they definitely, they did kind of like independently school me a little bit. Like, they fast tracked me in a couple different ways. A bit of, homeschool, a bit of homeschooling there? Yeah. Like, I definitely went to, to public schools, but like, they, my dad's math teacher, so he would like. Oh, so they, they kind they, of. They taught in private schools? No, they taught in public schools. Um, did you attend their public schools? I did for some time. I did basically only they only taught high school, right? Or actually, no, excuse me, I'm forgetting something. My mom taught elementary school for a while, so I went to elementary school in Milpitas, where she taught from first to fifth grade. What school in Milpitas? Weller, Joseph Weller. Get out! Yeah, that's where I went. Really? Yeah, <laughs> my hometown's Milpitas. That's super funny. I went to Weller from uh, <laughs> kindergarten to third, then I went to Spengler on the other side of Milpitas. Yeah, yeah. From fourth to sixth. Wow, that's so funny. Wait, so when did you graduate high school? Two thousand eight. Okay, so I must have just missed you. Because if you left Weller after third grade and I started there in first grade and I graduated in two thousand eleven, uh-huh. I was three years behind you, right? So you left right when I got there. Yeah. How were your Weller experiences? Great, honestly, I liked Weller. I got into a lot yeah. of trouble to be honest with you. Yeah. But me I, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, that was its own what kind thing, of show were you getting yourself into? I mean, it's hard for me to even remember a lot of the things I did. You know, a lot of it was just mischief, but like, yeah, I mean, a lot of just mischief, disrupting class kind of stuff. You know, I was like a class clown type character, I guess. Like, 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 you were shouting comments out or something? Yeah, that kind of thing. I, you know, I just kind of like, I don't know. I think I wanted to be entertaining all the time. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, a lot of... Well, it's really hard for your mom, right? <laughs> yeah, you got a no, reputation. That's the thing that I didn't really understand at the time. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, man, I feel bad. Like, because, yeah, I mean, that must have been kind of oh, embarrassing. Come on. Were you that but, much trouble, really? <laughs> well, literally, at one point, they sat... The principal and administration sat me down and was like, Danny, you are literally the second worst kid in the school. And I was like, well, at least I'm the first. <laughs> but, the know. second worst I'm kid. I'm like, how do you... Inqu- I guess they quantify that for, like, how many, like, referrals I got, you know? I have a feeling that I was the first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was the number one. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was it was a good school though. I, I definitely I got along there. I mean, the fourth and fifth grade years for me were probably the best because um, I was in the like gate of the gifted and talented class. I'm not trying to like toot my horn, but it's just I mean like oh you're like, a gate kid for those years. I, I liked yeah, those yeah. people though. Is what it came down to. Like those yeah. those kids were good. Like. I mean, the whole school, I think, was good people, but that particular class was fun because they were, they were, like, smart, but they were still interesting and they weren't, like, pretentious about Dude, it. I remember in Weller, I think it was, like, in third grade. Yeah, you... Wait, did Gate apply for a third grade? No. No, it was fourth and up. Fourth and up. Yeah. Okay, I missed out. Because yeah. for some reason, I remember in third grade, like, when people, like, I guess for some reason, a Gate student would come into class... Like they were treated like a celebrity sometimes. Yeah, which is probably not good to be honest. But, wait, wait, I don't really remember being. I don't remember feeling like I was being treated that way though yeah. when I was there. Yeah, I, but yeah. but one thing I do remember about uh, Weller before I went out was that that new playground they put up next to the yeah. auditorium. Yeah, I remember they were doing that renovating when I was. That there. was a badass playground. Yeah, no, that was that was good. Yeah, no, that was that was a fun school. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Milpitas is a humble city, but it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, yeah, I have my quarrels with it, but other than that, yeah, I yeah, agree. the trash smell is not particularly nice, you know. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> the landfill. The, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's such a bad <laughs> smell that's so everywhere that I actually didn't even realize uh, what was going on when I was growing up. I just kind of thought that's how things smelled in Mokitas. <laughs> And then it wasn't until I came back as an adult that I noticed it. Yeah. Like, cause it's just, you would go there every day for school and it just, that just becomes like part of your, like <laughs> yeah. your senses almost like to just smell that every single day, you know? Yeah. Um, what yeah. middle school did you go to? I went to Monroe, mm-hmm. um, which is in San Jose. Uh, it feeds into usually to Del Mar high school, which is where I went to high school for part of it. Um, I went to, I only went to Del Mar for a year and a half, but I loved it. I loved Del Mar because I met, I met like, well, I met a lot of my really close friends now at Monroe and then kind of solidified a lot of those friendships at Del Mar. Um, so it was great. But then I also had to go to Los Altos, which is where my parents taught for a lot of moving around, man. What was that about? Um, well, the story goes, I got out of Monroe and my parents were like, oh, well, you're going to go to high school now. You know, there's influences all around you. So we want to keep an eye on you. So let's, let's, let's bring you to Los Altos so we can keep an eye on you. <laughs> Danny, you were the second worst kid at one point. Yeah. <laughs> we got to keep much. an eye on you. Yeah. I think that, you know, they didn't want me to like get into to drugs and shit like that. But anyway, so yeah, they I had me at Los Altos for a semester. I hated it. I couldn't relate to anyone I felt, honestly. So I convinced them to let me go to Del Mar where all my friends were. I went there till the end of sophomore year, but then lo and behold, I got into drugs. <laughs> I got into weed. I mean, it's not really that bad, but, but at the time, dude, they had, yeah. had the dare program at its, at its peak. Yeah. So the, the yeah. kind of the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the fever or the, you know, the panic was yeah. kind of higher. And I think especially my parents, like bless their hearts are great people, but they definitely, I think they didn't do drugs growing up or like smoke weed or anything. So I think to them it was a bigger deal. Interesting. You know, and couple of that with just it wasn't just weed too. There was just tension throughout. You know, I, like I said, I was kind of a troublemaker growing up, so there was definitely tension like leading up to that point. So what other drugs were doing besides weed? It was just weed and drinking. That was weed. it. Alcohol. Yeah, I was drinking, yeah. and I mean, I drink and smoked kind of a lot for a high school kid, but like it was that was it. Like I did salvia a few times. That was it, though. Do you feel that was also a period where you're re- really getting into your creative uh, uh, actually yes um, clothing? Yeah, I mean, because actually creative clothing. I just made that up. No, yeah, that's great. <laughs> creative clothing. Like you're fitting into it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it really was. That's actually a really great way of putting it. I feel like that's where I really shed my skin and started to really uh, adopt the right, uh, you know, kind of makeup for what I wanted to do. Now, you know, that was when I first got into electronic music. I was. Uh, when I first got into like just the wider world of music in general like before that point I was into music I was always into music but it was more like specific strands of like experimental music whatever but then sophomore year is a big time for when I got into electronic music and I got into hip-hop those are like the two seminal genres for me were those two what kind of stuff were you listening to um electronic wise I was listening to a lot of like warp Records stuff um which was uh like Flying Lotus uh, Boards of Canada Clark Aphex Twin stuff like that and then uh, other stuff too like there's this record label called Ninja Tune Records that had a lot of Ninja Tune Records yeah a lot of like jazzy or electronic stuff on there yeah yeah Um, and then hip hop I was into like MF Doom and like Del the Funky Homo Sapien stuff like that like yeah yeah a lot of of, like more he worked with the Gorillas, right yeah exactly Yeah. yeah I was really into him I was actually really into that one song they did together. Um, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, I was really into that kind of stuff. Um, that was my sophomore year. Was a bunch of stuff like that, and then, and then I sort of branched out, discovered Radiohead. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can like do cool things with electronic music Dude. in a rock band. Radiohead mixed in with alcohol, mixed in with weed. <laughs> Jesus, trippy <Christ>. time. Very <laughs> trippy time. 
<laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a very uh, heightened time, definitely, because things were just so... Uh, imagine being a kid, really. I was still like 14, 15 at that time and just experiencing all these crazy new things, you know. Um, yeah, it was great. But then, yeah, the thing I, I didn't get to explain it as a, I got sent away to boarding school um, because of all that trouble and all the, the weed stuff. Um, and that was in Utah. So I went to a boarding school in Utah for a year. Wow. Um, How was that experience? That was not positive, but it wasn't, it was like, I feel like it was, it was uh, necessary in a way. I think, I think I learned a lot of like the skills I needed to just grow as a person to, you mm. know, to mature. How old were you at this point? 15 when I went, 16 when I left. That's very interesting, man. Yeah. Because those 15 middle years where you really start developing who you are. Who you are. Yeah. But even then you still have a long way to go. Definitely. But what happens in those years is very, very important. No, it's definitely true, and it was a weird time to just kind of be uprooted from my high school experience because I totally missed my junior year as a result, and then went back senior year, went to Los Altos again because my parents were like, "Now we want to have an eye on you again." Hold and on, that, why specifically all the way in Utah to go to boarding school? Well, they don't really have those kinds of schools everywhere. Utah, Utah has a lot of schools like that because yeah. they their laws are more conducive to them uh basically is it the whole mormon culture do you think well i think that's a part of it too i think a lot of mormons are like oh we really want to you know help people or like help reform people and so goddamn nice those people yeah (laughs) honestly good people all the mormons i met were were great you know because you Um, you you always hear people making fun of them you you, i know they're easy targets so when i meet someone in person i just i'm looking for that that to be a jerk (laughs) but i just can't because how nice they are just just dismantles I everything <laughs> i know no, you're right it's kind of unfair to be honest I, I felt like i don't know i felt like i couldn't i'm that's one reason i'm glad i went i feel like I, I left with a more enlightened perception of what more people are actually like um but yeah i mean that, that's part of it i think also there's a, there's laws that allow them to keep like for example there's a law that they can keep you after your 18th birthday at these boarding schools for six months i believe um, but I don't think any other state really allows that. I'm not, I'm not like an expert on that. I'm probably getting some details wrong. But that that was my understanding is that they were more lenient with the laws there to operate boarding schools like that. So Utah was kind of a hot spot in a way. There was there was literally one for girls because I, I went to a boys one. There was one for girls literally right across the street, and we were in the desert, so it's not like there were buildings everywhere. Like, Jesus, yeah. man, you go from from South Bay suburbia to the desert. <laughs> yeah. So How was that transition? Quite jarring. Um, yeah, and the one little detail I left out actually is that I first went to a wilderness program. So that was five and a half weeks I spent in northern Utah in the woods. Was uh, it a Boy Scout of some sort? Uh, it wasn't Boy Scout. It was the same kind of thing where it's like, you know, your parents send you here because they want you to go through therapy and become a better person. But um, it was different. It was a wilderness focus. So you're basically just camping and hiking. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a therapist that comes out every once a week and yeah. you like have counselors with you. Um, so that was really what I transitioned to, which was more jarring than the desert. Like, it was actually funny when I went to the youth boarding school in Utah, I was like, oh, I was ecstatic because I was like, oh my gosh, there's pancakes here. And like, oh my gosh, there's a shower here. There's a toilet. You know, I was so happy the, all the kids there were like, oh, he's faking. Cause that happens all the time where kids come in and they like pretend to have changed already so they could try to go home early. Right. But I was like, no, I'm really happy. I've been in the woods this whole time. Like, believe me, this is awesome. You know, mm. I, I feel that the most detrimental drug there is definitely alcohol. I know I started yeah. drinking at a young age, um, mm. and I'm, I'm much more, much more better with my drinking now. That's good, yeah. But but it definitely was anger related. Sure. And the only way I could really cope was to drink. And yeah, to it's like not a good combination. Yeah. Is that one of the reasons why you got into it as well? I wouldn't say it was anger. I mean, I definitely had a lot of like frustration 
like a lot of angst towards my parents at the time a lot of angst just like you know teenage angst and like um were, were, a lot of things. do you feel like your parents were, were too uh were, were they like helicopter parents that's how i felt at the time definitely yeah um you know looking back now i'm like we're, we get along great now and like we're both adults or we're all adults i mean like i feel like i respect them a lot more um so i don't really like want to criticize them very hard you know because i feel like they, they were really trying to be good parents well, but I def- they were definitely like they definitely were uh they definitely were struggling to to figure out how to raise me <laughs> you know Dude, raising a, a person is, is is fucking hard yeah i can't even I, imagine i can't imagine me doing it either <laughs> yeah at least doing it well yeah yeah like i think i would resort to the primary of like or is it alive is it fed good yeah right? <laughs> what do we go from there yeah no that's the, even those things can be hard to do right <laughs> Um, so, but, you know. But so when you went to Utah, to the boarding school, it, it was very uh, eye-opening and it seems you came out pretty well. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, like, yes, I came out with learning a lot. You know, I definitely felt like a better person, but it was hard to reassimilate socially. I think that was my big problem. It took a long time, honestly, for me to reassimilate socially. I think, like, I had a really lonely senior year of high school. I, my first couple years of college were really lonely. Like, you know, it was just hard to meet because especially since not just because of the weird disconnect of having been in a really different environment for so long, but also just like I felt like uh, I really had a, a good network when I was with those people at Del Mar. I had, I had good friends there who I really felt accepted with. So it was harder to be put into like Los Altos is like rich people. <laughs> like, yeah. to be honest, like I don't want to, you know, Trust fund babies. Yeah, I, yeah, I hate to use the stereotype, but it's true. Um, a lot of the people really were like that there, and, and, it's and just they got like, this bubble. Relate. Like here yeah. you are, you went from out of state. You went, you've gone through a lot, mm-hmm. and you go back to this place where it's like a small bubble. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's hard so, to fit in. I don't blame you. Yeah, no, it, yeah, yeah. It was definitely strange, but and were you creating music at this time? Yeah. So before boarding school, I was into just playing bass. I'd actually been playing bass since I was like nine. Um, like, like a string bass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a or, or the bass. double bass? Electric bass. Like a, you know, like a string bass. Um, I'm trying to pick it up. Oh, yeah. It's fun. It's a good instrument. Um, but yeah, I used to play in, in bands. Um, I had a particular band I was really into when I was in high school or like sophomore year. It was like seventh to tenth grade, I think. That was like a progressive kind of rock metal-ish band. Kind of embarrassing now, but it was like honestly, we were doing ambitious things for that. That's time. a thing to do, man. Yeah, I mean, Dude, it was like the time that. signatures are crazy. It's so cool, you know. Back in high school, if anyone was in a band, it was like a punk or a metal band. Yeah, yeah. No, and we were like, oh, we're so different because we're playing in you know a complex kind of music with different. I don't know. Like we, it was a little pretentious, but like we definitely, it, we definitely learned a lot from it. It was challenging for us at the time. So I'm glad I did it. Um, but that was what I was doing before boarding school. And then after is when I was kind of more on my own. So I was like, you know what? I want to make electronic music. So that's when I first got Ableton live. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I first started making electronic music. That was 2010. Um, that was like, that was, what, how old was, I? I was like 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then I didn't release anything like an actual re- release of my own. Actually, no, I collaborated with a friend and we released an album together in 2011. But I didn't release anything of my own electronically until uh 2013 um yeah but um that was an interesting time it, it was a it was a transition time i consider in a way the kind of you know reassimilating to to regular society out of boarding school and uh you know learning a new type of music too because i had been playing bass you know learning electronic music is totally different um so a lot of a lot of things were transitioning what kind of, uh, electronic um tech where you 
utilizing to create the music just the computer just computer yeah i just had a computer and i was just doing ableton on there like just honestly yeah that was the interesting thing is that i didn't you know i wanted to create all this really dense music but i didn't really know anything about gear or anything like that so i was just like well <laughs> i know i have two options from what i know i can either use the synths that come in ableton the in-house synths you know which no one really ever uses and like they're kind of hard to make good music with you can i guess but it's it's tough no one really does that you know um or i could use samples um so i just started using samples um i made music for a while with nothing but samples i would just have a super meticulous approach to using samples because i wanted to use samples for everything you know i'm talking like i needed a snare drum sound for this song well i'll find a sample that sounds kind of like a snare drum you know like anything the bass line i would just like i remember one song where like i needed a bass line so i like took this like organ this opening organ note from an african record and like african like um like afro beat record and just like pitch shifted the organ note across a keyboard to make a bass sound out of it and just made a bass sound out of that so it's like that was how i was doing things is i was just kind of like finding ways to use samples for like somewhat conventional uses in a way so, so you were like mining through a lot of music yeah i had a i mean i actually still do that i still use i use more than just samples now like i use synths and stuff too but at the time i was using nothing but samples so i had fat folder i mean I, it's even bigger now as so i still have the same folder i just keep adding to it but even at the time i had a fat folder of albums i would just comb through to sample um now what's yeah. a, what's the rule behind sampling? Because I hear different things. Some say it's eight seconds. Some say it's, it's ten. Some say some even go up to like thirty seconds. Yeah, I mean, there's really no. It's such a gray area, legally speaking. That I just uh, I don't even look at it legally. I look at it like creatively. You know, my whole goal is I don't want people to know what I'm sampling. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just if people if people can't figure out what I'm sampling, then yeah. I can't get sued. It's funny right? you say that. I forgot the name of the artist. He was an East Coast rapper back in the '90s. A friend was telling me about this last night actually we we're talking about mm-hmm. this well, there, there was this east coast rapper who uh who died young but he's a big a le- l he's like a legend is it big l probably big l but mm-hmm. the fact that people didn't know where he, he would find his samples and yeah. we, until years later did they discover that he was finding samples from like vintage rare jazz records or vintage uh world music like african yeah, yeah. chants no, and great. stuff like yeah. that and, and it's like and, and that's why he became so revolutionary when it comes to hip-hop uh, sampling because yeah. people are like, dude, what are these sounds? Yeah, no, that's that's the cool thing about sampling is it's like you can create sounds that are so unique with them. I mean, you can create sounds that are unique with anything, but like I think samples, it's from a different era, so the equipment was different. Um, so it's even harder to recognize what the heck's going on when you're using sounds like that. Um, that's why I think drew me to them so much is I just love like the mystery of sound. You know, I love when like I love when the sound is so evocative that like it transports you to a place but you just can't really tell like where they I don't know it's like where you where it's unclear exactly how it's being made I mean that's a lot of the thing I kind of get turned off with with a lot of like modern digital synths is that they feel like the the mystery is gone it's like kind of just a really obvious sound where there's no real bit on the monotonous the, side yeah and like the aesthetic is kind of just bland like I love aesthetic I'm a big fan of the idea of aesthetic and oh it's very like, important yeah it, it's always been like one of the biggest things to me so like that's what samples can really i mean you know i again don't want to pretend that samples are the only way to achieve that but like samples are a really powerful tool for building a really specific aesthetic um is the creative process mostly trial and error like trying to fit these samples i think there's a lot a lot of trial and error yeah even now even though i've learned a lot by this point there's still a ton of trial and error um 
Definitely. I mean, especially since like I didn't ever take a class on any of these kinds of things, right? So like a lot of it was I just had to like try things out and learn them. You know, yeah. I mean, when did the because you you're split because you have the experimental side of your sure. music, and you have another uh, persona, Danny Boy. Yeah, which yeah. is your hip hop rap. Right. Side. Yeah. Exactly. When did that come into uh, fruition? That came into play much more recently. As actually the first time I ever rapped, literally, was like probably about a year and a half ago. It was like get out of here. Yeah, it was. It was get it was, get the fuck out, <laughs> of here. dude. Uh, that that song that which I, I, by now my listeners have heard in the beginning, sure. uh, out of out of you. Yeah, you sound like a fucking pro, man. Thank you. <laughs> you got well, some thanks. bars in you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and and you and you said you only started a a, a year ago. Yeah, it was it was actually December of two thousand fifteen. Uh, I remember the moment actually it was we you know FPS Fest it was the yeah, yeah the, it's the did, did Josh have a, something to do with it he did I'll explain the story <laughs> real, real quickly it was the <laughs> FPS Fest I guess for, if your listeners don't know is just yeah. the, the festival that our, our alumni whatever you call it the school we graduated from hosts um, a film festival uh-huh. and it was after that that all of us who were at the film festival not all of us but a good in our friend group a good chunk of us went to my house um, to just hang out. Was, so, this, was this Josh? Josh was definitely there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh is, for I guess the listeners who we're, don't know. We're, we're talking about Josh, which is, oh, he's a great cinematographer. Dude. Great cinematographer, one of my favorites for sure, one of my yeah. favorite collaborators. And um, yeah, Cause, cause I say him, because him and who else? That was rapid something. Yeah, no, he, he's... <laughs> that was beatboxing. In, I love it. It's, in, it's in, the, in the gear room. Uh, oh, in the yeah. equipment room. The, yeah, yeah. Every time you walk Check in, I, I hear Josh going, like, dropping a beat or... No, it's great. That's the thing. It's just fun, uh, you know? <laughs> Did you sample his beats? Uh, I've 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 I've, <laughs> I've never done that before, but it sounds like you know, I'd be fun to work with some straight up mouth sounds. But no, it was, I mean that was pretty much it. It was just we were hanging out, having a time, and I think the the vibe was high enough. You know, I'd won a couple of awards at the festival, so the, this, the confidence was there. I was you know drinking and smoking, so I'm just in such a great headspace. And then uh, I just started rapping. I don't know where it was like we were. I was playing like house music, and I just started rapping to it. And I had never done that before in my life ever, so I don't know where it came from. But then I was like, oh, it was fun. And then I just kind of like kept doing it. After that, I kept just freestyling. And then I would hang out with my friend Julian, who was my best friend. I've known him since like forever. Um, and another really close friend of mine, Eric, um, have known forever as well. Um, they have been kind of rapping casually for a while. Eric puts out has been putting out music of his own as well. He goes by Walsh, but um, Julian mainly just had been rapping casually, like freestyling. So I just kind of like hooked up with them, and we started rapping freestyling together. And then we started um, saying, "Hey, you know, why don't we like write songs?" <laughs> and then so we started write, writing songs together. Uh, we have a group called Greenbrier Trey. Um, Greenbrier was the street that Julian's house was on when we were growing up. So you know, Trey is like term for three. So it's kind of like we were. I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of where it started. And then uh, that project's sort of on hold right now, just because I've been focusing on my own stuff. Eventually, I was like, man, I have tons of ideas for my own music. And you know, that's the thing is, I love rapping. I really, I love the act of rapping and like constructing bars and so on and so on. But uh, that's not even really the main reason why I do it. I think the main reason why I do it is because I just really want to put out like art that's more ambitious than what is possible with with without vocals. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that instrumental music is inherently less ambitious, but there's just certain kinds of music 
that I think the the introduction of my voice as an instrument has made possible now. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm just really fascinated with what I can do with my voice. Um, so that's that's really where it is. I, I'm working on a lot of music right now. Uh, I have an EP that's almost done. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to drop within the next like month or probably like month or month and a half tops. Mm-hmm. And then I have like two more that are heavily on the way and then an album that's probably not going to come out until like next year but that's a work in progress as well so i, I want to talk a, a bit about township sure oh yeah let's go back to that <laughs> that's that's your previous uh in, in experimental album that's yeah that's my last like electronic electronic release yeah, yeah. as danny spateri yeah spateri uh and i remember i i, I downloaded it for later because you posted on, on facebook about it i was like oh yeah i know danny's a cool guy <laughs> i want to hear so i got your music down Sure. I was still like a week. I want to say two weeks later, that I finally got around to it. Sure. Uh, and for me, experimental music—it's hit or miss. It's sure. a lot. It's a like a. It's a lot like experimental film. Sure. It's either I dig it within the first couple seconds, or I don't. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, but but for some reason, when when I when I put Township, and I was just working, I was here in the studio just writing, or I forgot what I was doing, mm-hmm. and it, it it just it really meshed into like it all came together. Where I was really captivated by it. It felt a lot That's like great. I felt a lot like jazz, That's where great. it's dance music, but you you find a groove into it and you mm-hmm. just stick with it, and before you know it, you're just you're just lost in it. Yeah, oh, that's that's great. I'm glad you got that out of it. And and, and uh, I was like, huh? And I I listened to the entire album twice, mm. and I'm like, I I, I got to tell Danny this is good stuff. I remember yeah. messaging <laughs> you, and I was nervous because oh, I was right. I remember that. Yeah, we, we didn't even know each other. We know yeah. we know of, of each other. Yeah. We, we, we weren't like you know uh, uh, very close. Yeah. So like, oh, he's probably gonna think I'm a creep. No, no. Listen to his yeah. music randomly. No, no, then, that's awesome. Then that's acting, acting like a fanboy, <laughs> and fucking messaging him. No, but dude, I, I really enjoyed Township. Uh, tell me a bit how you uh, you put together that EP. Yeah. So that one, actually, yeah. Going back, I never finished. I thought I just realized that was one where I was trying to express sort of like what it felt like to live downtown for the first time and all the feelings that came with that. You know, like uh, all like honestly, like not just good feelings. I mean, a lot of depression I was going through at the time, a lot of anxiety, a lot of like feelings with addictions. It's like, oh man, living in the, not my parents' house anymore. I can smoke weed all the time. You know what I mean? So like uh. that, that kind of is a factor, honestly. Um, you know, and having to manage like those cycles of addiction with, with um, smoking and drinking. Um, How are you holding up with those addictions now? I feel like pretty well now, yeah. but it took a lot of time. Yeah. Like it hasn't, you know, it took, it took a lot of time Same to find that balance. Same story with me, man. Yeah. yeah, it's tough to find that balance, to be honest with you. I think they're good things if used correctly, but it's hard to find how to use them correctly sometimes, you know, because it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just tough. Because when tough. you're young, you overboard it. Definitely. And you find yourself in a hole. Definitely. And you're like, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, why, why am I so cranky? Why am I so angry at the world? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, like it owes me something. Yeah. yeah, which is like, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of, <laughs> that's the thing with the smoking, I think, in particular, that's most dangerous, is that the sub, the effects of it that are negative are kind of subtle. You know, it's not like if you do heroin and you have withdrawals, which I've never done heroin, obviously, but like, if you do heroin and you have withdrawals, you're going to know. Like, it's, you know, you see train spotting or whatever, it's like ridiculous how much he's going through, right? But like a weed withdrawal, it exists, it's just much more subtle, so it's like, it's harder to, to detect it. Mm. You know, so I, I think that's why along for a long time I was able to just like be in this habit of using it all the time and not really know why I was like depressed or not really know why I was like having more anxiety than usual or like why I was less motivated than usual or whatever. And then I kind of like had to realize like, oh my gosh, like I need to slow down on that. That's why, you know, 
Um, so that yeah, that was part of what Township was about. I mean, there's a lot. It was about a lot of things. Like just kind of some of what I was going through at the time. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the sound came from. Because like that that you might call outsider house music. There's like a sort of subgenre called outsider house music. But I wasn't really um, trying to make the kind of music. I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna make an outsider house EP now. I think it was more like that's the language through which I want to speak to convey these ideas right now because I feel like that makes the most sense for what I'm trying to say. You know, I feel like the idea of outsider houses, it's like it's house music, so it's danceable, it's danceable, but it's still lo-fi, it's still like introverted, it's still atmospheric and hazy and kind of weird. So, you know, it really speaks to a lot of the thoughts that are kind of going on inside my head in a way, a lot of like the internal issues I was going through. Yet, you know, I couldn't make music that was so insular that it was like straight ambient because I just that wasn't how I felt. I was still going out there and having being social and experience, experiencing, you know, the city and experiencing the excitement of, of, of drugs even and everything like that. But um, it seems to be the excitement of independence. Yeah, the excitement of independence, definitely. But also the, the like how, you know, when you're independent, it's so easy to fall into your vices and then become depressed and, and I, whatever you know so that's that was the the reason why i chose to make music that had that sort of character to it is that i felt like it captured the balance of the of those qualities um so hopefully that answers your question i mean like if you want to know what what how i came about like from a technical standpoint i was still using samples um but that time i sort of expanded my base of what i was sampling from for Crea Island, which was my EP before that, I I was sampling uh, mainly just albums like old, a lot of old like 60s, 70s, different electronic or new age albums or old like you know even just like uh, what's I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but like maybe like e- really ethnic folk music or whatever the 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 genre may be, a lot of different things, um, even newer things like video game soundtracks. I mean the point is though it was all like albums. But for, for Township, I went into a lot of like public archive videos. So I sampled a lot of like um, public service announcements and like, uh, you know, just like educational videos and stuff like that. And like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, like even sometimes like uh, like the first track in there is called I Believe You See the Real Person. That synth in there, that is kind of the main synth you're hearing in the song. That's that's a very like short snippet looped from a um, public service announcement, where I took like it's just like a three second little clip where there's like a little synth line that comes into like transition between scenes, and I just took that and looped it, you know. So a lot of sounds, yeah, a lot of the drum sounds actually on that were from uh, like there was this one video I found of like teaching people how to use tools or something like that and then like you know a lot of the sounds of like this guy smashing a hammer or whatever like we're just like oh it's a great drum sound so <laughs> i use a lot of those yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. where do you where do you usually look for these sounds is it in a library are you looking at archives in the library this was a website archive.org it's just the public archive yeah it's yeah. simple um i still sampled a lot of albums too and you know all this the usual kind of sources but those were a big extra tool for that ep mm. um yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to segue to filmmaking. Yeah, sure. Uh, you you uh, so far as, as far as I know, you made one film, one short film. No, I made like five. Five. What okay. do you think? I before bef- FPS. Uh, during FPS, so okay. I can name them. Both. I made one for CMF that I almost don't count because it was just like really really low key. Um, uh, so I guess I'll skip that one. But the first one I really made on my own was the Cradle 
which Josh that we mentioned earlier, he was a DP for that. Um, that one was in April, or I think that was in like spring of 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, Fort. Yeah, now, I'm losing my years now. Is, is filmmaking a recent venture for you, or have you always? That's more recent. That's like that's like before rap, after electronic music. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, yeah, that that came for me. Yeah, so that was 2015. I'm always losing track of my years, right? Or was it? We're in 2017, right? Yes. Okay, so that was... As far was, as I know. Yes. 20, okay, so that was... Yeah, that was 2015. We, we could be traveling interdimensional yeah. spaces right now. <laughs> there is no time here. Yeah. or space. Just is. Anyway, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yes, no, we're no, 2017. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yes. Um, it was 2015 that I made the first one. And then I the second one was Myopia, which I made in 2015 later. And I directed that. I co-directed and co-wrote that with a friend, Wes. The um, Cradle. The cradle was the That's first. That's the one with the forest. Yes, that was the one. Uh, God, I'm so sort stupid. Of yeah, I remember. You made more than one film. I remember now. Yeah, no, no, it's, no worries. It's coming no back worries. together. The cradle. You shot that. Did you shoot that in Santa Cruz Mines? I shot part of that in. It wasn't Santa. It was like Saratoga yeah. Hills yeah. or something like that. I, I really dug that one. I, I remember seeing it on um, on FPS Fest. Yeah, it was very. A lot of your stuff is very philosophical, dude. Well, Thanks, for me, I guess. Yeah, that's, no, that's, I, that's I, how I interpret them. Sure, I mean that one. That one was probably one of the most like thematically heady in a way. Like, yeah. you know, that was the one where essentially it's like about this guy who goes to a party and has an awkward time, but then yeah. there's a lot of like just surreal encounters he has there. Got some great shots in, the, in that party scene. Oh, thanks. I remember. <laughs> those. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shouts out to Josh for that. Um, yeah, that was fun. Um, Did you write that one? Yeah, I wrote it with Josh. Um, mm. There's some improv in there, though. I actually, I would say every film I've done has at least some improv, except for the last one. Um, but uh, that that one, the improv was very loose. Yeah. The, I mean, like there it was, there was still mostly scripted. There was just like some improv. But then the next, sorry, go on with it. No, no, I remember that. It was a guy in a house party having awkward uh, moments, yes, and he yes. ends up in the forest. Yeah, it just looks up at sunlight. If I remember that part right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember after Tom was like, "What does this mean? Yeah, <laughs> what's the story behind this? What is he trying to say?" Yeah, I mean, uh, had to make another movie about social anxiety. Uh, social anxiety has been like a theme, and I think a lot of works that I've done. Yeah. Um, not as much in the later ones, but definitely at that time, that was like that was not long before I did uh, Township. So you know, it's kind of in that headspace. And Myopia um, was after that one. Yeah, Myopia was. Um, that was the same semester that I did Township. Um, Myopia was, yeah, that one's the one about, that one we did for CMF, but then we ended up doing a longer cut that we ended up just releasing ind- independently because um, we didn't even get to CMF. So we were just like, screw it. Why don't we just release a longer one anyway? Um, but yeah, that one was written and directed with my friend Wes um, and starring Julian, my roommate who, like I said, I've known forever. Um, and that one we didn't even really write a script we wrote like an outline and uh so that way we could kind of like come up with lines on the spot you know um so that was fun because julian's a great improviser um i acted in a few scenes as well so we were able to bounce off each other well since it's like we have i feel a like good chemistry with knowing each other so long um so yeah that was fun i actually really liked the film uh that one won best screenplay and 
best actor. <laughs> Considering you guys didn't uh, write it. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is funny. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> improv all the way. The first time an outline won an award for screenplay. I know, no, it's great. I mean, that just goes to show, I think, how good uh, improv. I'm sure there's a lot uh, of screenplay listeners who are like, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Spending years on my screenplay, yeah. and you didn't even write one, and you won best script. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, uh, not knocking on actual screenwriters at all, you know. That's it's, funny. It's a great approach too. But yeah, that, that that particular film I think was better for being improv. It just depends on what kind of film you're trying to make. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was fun. Um, then I also did one that semester called "The Greatest Living Man on Earth," which which was completely like solo. Like I had AC Sicko um, uh, shot it, but then everything else was me. I wrote it, directed it, and acted in it. Um, and that one was just about like uh, basically a guy wakes up and everyone's gone like the world hasn't like necessarily ended but it's just like everyone's gone it's like he doesn't know what happened if there's been some epidemic or what's going on it's like all the everyone's cars are still there all the buildings are still up everything's fine and it looks normal except just everyone's gone so he's kind of just like walking around like trying to navigate his life figure out how long he should keep living for before he just kind of gives up or like you know how long he can keep supplies going for he kind of considers those technical or logistical questions but also just considers like the the existential side of it which is like is there really much point to this like I'm, hey man, you're, you're the philosophical way <laughs> just, I just really get into it yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I guess yeah I never really like thought of it that way but I suppose so did you put yourself in that position mentally like if yeah you, if you were the only guy in the in the earth what would you do yeah I think I was just going through I remember what inspired it was like I went through like a really depressing weekend where I was just like ah like screw everyone I'm really depressed and then I was just like you know what like man like do I really hate everyone? Like, no, I don't. Like, you know, like, I relate to you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I hear you a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that I guess that you do. I mean, I just felt like I had to make something about like the idea of, you know, how much we really do need people in a way. Um, but yeah, I think every film I've made with the exception of the last one has come from something I'm going through. I guess myopia wasn't as much something I was going through. That was more like just something we wanted to, to write because we were just kind of spitballing but like that one definitely greatest man was something i was going through but the 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 last one in the name of man was something my dad wrote actually yeah which i want to talk to about, about that sure i yeah. mean considering that now we know about your past about your parents and yeah it's that. funny i was talking about my parents yeah. being these like strict well, people but but yeah no like they're they're still definitely yeah. good people my dad is interesting because he's he's not like quite as creatively focused as i am but he's he's kind of he's always been interested in film so yeah. two things i got out of that sure that notion. go for it one, uh, wow, you, your relationship with your dad's really good. I can never work with my dad on that <laughs> level, never ever. Yeah, uh, and we tried. Um, yeah. And second, I was like, your your dad wrote some creepy shit. Like, <laughs> That's a trip. Imagine me reading it. Like my dad's not a creepy guy, so I reading it. I'm like, holy like, crap. like you feel like, like you saw a different side of your father. Yeah. Does he fantasize about dismembering people? That's the funny thing is Julian was like, oh my god, like because my dad was like, yeah, I think Julian would be great for this role. And my dad and Julian's like, oh my god, like is your dad like like imagining like being able to, like decapitate me? Like what's going on here? You know, Cause I used to get in trouble with Julian all the time. So he's like, oh no, is this like <laughs> this resentment like being you know propped up? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, yeah. I mean, um, it's it was cool to work with him because yeah, like I said, I did not have a very good relationship with him growing up, but like it really came a long way. I feel like I have a good one now. So it was cool, like, oh, we can make a piece of art together? Like, wow, that's pretty remarkable for where we come from. Um, but yeah, as far as the content itself, definitely was a trip just to um, 
read that script but i think ultimately he didn't really go into it like i'm gonna write a shocking script i think it was more like i want to convey these themes and that was just like um sort of the, the means to to convey the most most impactfully mm. um so that was cool um it was also cool because the script um was not uh in the form it became for the film itself uh it wasn't radically different like he definitely i definitely still credit him as like the writer um, but we did like go through a couple drafts and like change things. There was like a girlfriend character for the main character at one point for mm-hmm. for Julian's character. Um, a couple extra scenes, you know, like I condensed some stuff. Like, but it was still even all that stuff was collaborative, you know. So it was it was nice working with him to, to collaborate to improve the script. Now, how was that process initiated? Was there mm. your father going up to you, or it'd be like, "Hey, son, you're, you're working on this stuff. Do you, you just, you know, slide a screenplay pretty into, much into your room? Pretty. I mean, like, I mean, at that point, I wasn't even living with them, so it was even like less, like, uh, you know, sliding into my room kind of thing. It was, it was more like slides hey. under your doorstep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember how exactly it it it, it really happened, but yeah. I mean, he just kind of said, "Hey, I'm I'm writing a script and." Uh, like just love it if you'd read it and if you, if you think it's good you know love it if you make it so i was like okay um and I, like i read it to be nice basically um but then i was like you know what like this is interesting like it could make a, I, i've never made a film like this before at all was your father always a writer uh no no that's a thing is he that's the first script he ever wrote you know he never took any classes or anything he just wrote that script mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean like i said he's a teacher he like i said he's always been into film but he's never been like uh aspiring to work in film or anything like that he's never been like a, you know he's just been like a, he's liked a lot of films like that's pretty much it like and he's good at analyzing them and stuff but he's never definitely never been like a, a major like cinephile you know what subject does he teach math I know. Um, so not even anything related to film. <laughs> that makes sense to me now I, yeah. feel, I feel like a lot of math people have a lot of angst and and and, um, <laughs> and what's the word I'm looking for where they I, I could I could see them getting frustrated over people and imagining killing them in the most horrible way imaginable. <laughs> I, I, I mean, perhaps I, that's true. I, I'm not judging your father no, here no, necessarily, no. him specifically. No, no, no. But yeah. I, I feel that there's a bit of madness when it comes to to being surrounded by numbers and 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 patterns all the time. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't. I will say I don't think that he was living vicariously through that script. You yeah. know, but that's a good point. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but no, I mean, uh, I don't really think there's even really much connection between his profession and that script. I think it's kind of, like, interesting that he wrote that script, to be honest. It's hard to really pinpoint where it came from. Mm. Um, But, man, you did a good job directing it. Thank Uh, you. you (laughs) No, you did, you did. Uh, uh, Because uh, I'm really happy that you kept just just those two characters. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we cut out the other character, yeah. Because I feel one of the big themes was trust. Yes. Here's this guy trusting this young kid to help around the place. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and and already there's like a like a like a like a dark vibe happening. Yeah. And you and you and you're like, all right, what's this character up to, and what's this other character up to, mm-hmm. and then you get the shocking ending. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I think you you utilize a a great um tactic, and that is like, which is which is what a lot of uh, horror movies, successful ones at least utilize mm. which is not exactly showing everything but implying it yeah <laughs> and i'm sure partly is due to budgetary reasons right sure but but you pulled it off very well it was very well crafted yeah and, well, thank you and the yeah. great thing i loved it was that you you implied it even more through the credits yeah because you just had the tools <laughs> the tool- laid there with the credits <laughs> all bloody tools yeah no. i'm like oh man 
Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Because, you know, some people would like the gore, the gore out and all that. Yeah, I didn't feel the need to do that. I mean, part of it, I mean, part of it was budget, but I could have, like, forked out more to really do that, but I just didn't feel like I needed to. I mean, we did show him with his legs cut off, you know, mm-hmm. but um, that was, that wasn't really all that, all that bloody. We, we had Julian do some makeup to make it look kind of bandaged and bloody, but it wasn't over-the-top gory. I just didn't feel like that was necessary. Honestly, watching that in the theater was a lot of fun because I heard the audible gasp at that shot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so, It's always fun to see, see people watch your watching film on the big your, screen. Yeah, no, definitely. And especially yeah. when they're laughing in spots you didn't think they would laugh. Yeah. <laughs> especially in the serious parts. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know about you. No, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, that wasn't really a problem with that film, but uh, there, there were scenes that... I was kind of like there. There was subtle humor where I wasn't really sure if the humor would translate, and it, it did. So that was nice. Um, What's your creative process in directing? Directing, um, I kind of well, it's different to some extent when I'm directing something I didn't write, which I was the first time I ever directed something I didn't write actually. Um, and at this point, the only point I've done that um, for something I didn't write, I will essentially envision the whole film while I'm reading the script and I'll plan it out sort of in that way you know I'll plan out the edit ahead of time before I even shoot it because I edit it myself which I think is kind of crucial to the way I direct because it um, I agree yeah it, I mean, it, to... it depends it, it depends on the way someone directs yeah like, like I didn't yeah sorry go on like for me I, I'm, I'm on that level I need to edit what I direct yeah because cause it's, it's, it's how I'm trying to visualize sure uh but some people are much rather have someone else edit it. Yeah. And they collaborate that way, which is great. Yeah, it, d- it definitely depends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I didn't really do that sort of envision everything approach for um, my previous films. Um, since I wrote them and since they were a little bit looser too, those were all had much more improv, improv, improv in them. Um, but for this film, since it was so scripted, I was like, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to envision it all. Because the problem is I've been on sets. I've, like, acted in stuff, for example, where they um, don't seem to have the edit in mind when they're directing it. And so they're mm-hmm. just like, oh, let's get to this shot and to that shot and to that shot because that's the shot you're supposed to get as a director. Mm-hmm. But it's like we're getting all these, like, coverage shots we don't really need, you know? Yeah. yeah. Or we're, like, get, you know, it's, like, all this stuff that, you, you know, you, you good it's general film knowledge to get these shots, but, like, do you really need them here? Mm-hmm. So then I think in the edit, the editor's kind of, like, not really inspired in a way. They're not really, like, oh, they don't really have a good sense of what they're supposed to do with their shots, you know, but when I think when the director goes into the, the directing process with a really clear sense of the purpose of each shot, yeah, I think that has a, a lot of strength, you know. Uh, that's why you're, you're kind of uh, looking towards the auteur theory. Uh, yeah. Where, where the, the director is pretty much the author and the visionary behind the whole process. Uh, yeah. Uh, even through the cutting through floor, mm-hmm. uh, which, which brings a great point when it comes to filmmaking. You know, yeah. there, there's several ways to do it there's no one way mm-hmm. uh but but some definitely. some people are, are you know are constrict, constricted to one, one sort of way to doing it mm-hmm. which is the the hollywood way which, which yeah. is which is you know medium shot coverage yeah that, that's kind of all about coverage about, yeah. um and for that to really pull that off in my opinion you need a strong script yeah i would uh, agree because with, with a strong script you, you you could be as conservative as you want when it comes to cutting mm-hmm. or or shots yeah uh, I, the stories and characters are great. I think that pulls it through. Mm-hmm. Then there's others which I notice a lot in um, 
in foreign films, and that's why I love foreign films at a young age. Yeah, was, was that you don't really have all those uh, what's what I'm looking for resources as American filmmakers did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they w- they had to make every shot count for something. Yeah, yeah. So so they really and that's where the French really were into the mas en scene kind yeah. of thing where they're like alright the, the, the composition yeah. what does this mean overall I only got one shot at this movie mm-hmm. it yeah. might be might be the only movie I make in my lifetime yeah right so you know they, they got to evoke a lot of meaning behind the direction and editing yeah right and there's no right or wrong either way it, it, it just depends uh, in my opinion um how you function in that in that environment yeah no definitely I, I think context is super important I mean that's a that's the thing I want to always avoid implying is that there's one right way to pretty much anything like I think um, that's the thing you said early on right that I make a lot of different types of art you know I think that's how I always want to be I don't want to ever be known as the guy who does the this kind of the that kind of that kind and I think a big key to that is always being open to the idea that there that different approaches are still valid yeah. You know, I might watch like a Wes Anderson movie, which is a very specific approach, mm-hmm. and then I might watch like a Adam McKay comedy or something. I don't know, and I'll be like, you know, or like a, even better, like a Seth Rogen kind of Evan Goldberg sort of thing. Whereas like these have a very specific approach to being directed to those, that, and they're very different. They're very contrasting. You know, Wes Anderson is very like uh, very meticulous with all of his shots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're very like the whole symmetry thing is very prevalent in his work right but the Seth Rogen Evan Goldberg movies the camera work is very loose I think a lot of that is to accommodate for the improv right you could go on and say oh well the Seth Rogen films are inferior because the the camera work has less thought put into it but like that approach is kind of necessary for that kind of film because it's it's a lot of improv so those are both this is just two different kinds of films that are both valid those are both enjoyable to watch and I, I want to make films kind of like both of those someday yeah. in a way and not exactly well, those styles we I, I've seen some shitty Wes Anderson films myself so, so. yeah I mean everyone, yeah. everyone has their slip ups too even in their great style that they've crafted you know it's it, and I think that's a common mistake for, for, for some filmmakers maybe is that they rely too much on style as opposed to content yeah, I, I don't see that too much in him in particular, but I definitely see that in a lot of other directors who have a particular style. They kind of think that carries the whole film for them, and it's like, oh, where's the substance, though, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, we reached the hour mark. Wow, really? We're there. I flew by. We've we made it. We've made it, man. <laughs> yeah. Where can people check out your stuff? Um, My electronic and film score work which we actually didn't even talk about is on dannyspateri.bandcamp that's right you score films yeah yeah but no, no worries um, I've been trying to make you score one with, which one it, it never followed through my bad I don't know it's okay there's a, um, uh, oh it's like, the recent one uh, the camera one the, okay there you go um, no was it no it was one of my web series yeah no that, I remember you had me doing you, yeah. you had me do some sound so, editing for it yeah sorry about that no man. no it's okay it's totally fine um, yeah, but if they want to check out the film score stuff and the electronic stuff, dannyspateri.bandcamp.com. If you want to check out the hip-hop stuff, it's soundcloud.com slash dannyboysj. And then if you want to check out the film stuff, just search for my name on Vimeo uh, or YouTube, I guess. Um, and that's about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Danny, it's cool. great talking to you. Yeah, thanks uh, so much for having me. It's uh, awesome. I feel like I, I know you more than, than I that day when we were both going <laughs> yeah, to I got some State University. Pretty like intense detail here. I feel so. Yeah, definitely. I dig it. I, dude, I dig your stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. Thanks again for having me on. It's awesome.